0: The Bible is not a series of disconnected stories. It is a single narrative in which every story, every character points beyond itself to one who is greater. There is a true and better Abraham, who answered the call of God to leave all the comfortable and familiar and go out into the void to create a new people of God. There is a true and better Jacob, who wrestled and took the blow of justice we deserve. So we, like Jacob, only receive the wounds of grace that wake us up and discipline us. There is a true and better Moses who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and who mediates a new covenant. There is a true and better rock of Moses who struck with the rod of God's justice now gives us water in the desert. There is a true and better David, whose victory becomes his people's victory, though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. There is a true and better Esther, who didn't just risk losing an earthly palace, but lost the ultimate heavenly one, who didn't just risk his life, but gave his life to save his people. The Bible is not a series of disconnected stories. It is a single narrative that points to one
1: person, Jesus. Well, good morning. Welcome to church today. My name is Ken. I'm the youth pastor here at NAPNAS, and it's always a privilege to to get to be with you and and to speak with you. Uh, I I feel like I have to to throw this out there. This morning when I got ready uh, to come to church, I, I got dressed and I came out, and Uh, just asked Gabby if I looked all right, and she said well, hello Chip insinuating that I might be wearing something that Pastor Chip would be found wearing Um, and you know I said just because he owns every short sleeve button up double button shirt there is, doesn't mean when I wear one I look like him Um, no but you know after I guess after a while little bits of of, uh, our friends rub off on us and so I guess that's a good thing uh, but this morning, before I jump into the, the message, I also want to let you know there's an announcement in your bulletin uh, for the youth group about going to a mud hens game on July 20th and I just want to let you know we are going to take the teens to that, but also if you and your family would like to go to a game, uh, we can get tickets that night for ten dollars through the church uh, you are You are invited to come uh, either with us or, or meet us there and um, sit together, and we can just make that a, a fun night. There's going to be fireworks after the game, uh, but if, if that at all interests you, and when, when the sign-up goes up out there, um, just because it's, it's maybe has the youth group logo on it or whatnot, you all are invited to come and, and to get tickets and to go to that, so just want you to know that, that that could be a family outing for you, and you could just end up sitting with some of your friends from church, so uh, that's, a, that's available for you as well. Uh, today, we are going to continue um, talking about portraits and profiles. This is our summer series, and <clears throat> I, I, if I was completely honest with you, this is one of my uh, my favorite series that we've probably done here, uh, just because I'm a story guy, and I think I've told you guys that before, but I just love to learn through stories, especially stories that teach, and I really feel like um, these stories that we're talking about, uh, you know, i we go through on Wednesday nights with the teens, we, we call it campfire tales, but we do this kind of similar thing where we, uh, we get around in a circle, I put a fake campfire out in the middle of the floor, and then I just share about a character from the Bible. I've, I found out that um, we know a lot of like the main points of Scripture and the main characters and the main events that happen, uh, but sometimes the, the details that are found in those parts that we maybe don't know all that much about uh, are very crucial parts of Scripture, but they also help us to, to form the connection uh, that, that the video just that we just watched talked about, the fact that these are all a connected group of stories that point to Jesus. And so um, I, I love that the fact that what we're doing throughout this series is we're, we're focusing on some of these little details that you may be either didn't know or, or have learned a long time ago or glanced over, uh, but uh, I, I just love the, uh, of what we're doing throughout this series. Um, we set this up by, by looking at Romans 15, verse 4. We've done this every week, and we're going to do so again today. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and through the encouragement they provide, we might have Hope. And we we, be, we began looking at Abraham and his life, and the fact that Abraham was so faithful. That word faithfulness ends up being what kind of is the, the key word to describe Abraham and his life. He gets called out of the land of Ur, and we're, we're not even really told at that moment that Abraham has had any um, connection with God before that, before that initial call. And Abraham is so faithful, he hears God's call, and he takes his family, and they move to a new land where they're foreigners, but... They're doing it because God has made a promise to them, and and God also promises a son, and and Abraham is faithful even to the point of almost killing the son that God promised him because God asked him to do so, and he had full faith in God knowing that God would would either provide another sacrifice or that God would provide a way for that blessing to continue, and and Abraham was just a a faithful person. Then we went to Jacob, which is Abraham's grandson, and Jacob... um, was born, and he was called by his parents the deceiver. Uh, and that's just kind of, that was his identity all the way through Scripture until we come to a moment where he wrestles with God. And when he wrestles with God and he has that interaction, God changes his name and God changes his, his past and his future to the point where he is now the person uh, going forward in the Old Testament. When God talks about who he's the God of, Jacob is in there. And he changed his name to Israel, which is the title then of, of his people. And God can do that for you and for me. And then we, we moved on to talking about Joseph, which is one of Jacob's sons. And Joseph, Joseph uh, had a lot go wrong in his life, and, and he didn't do much to earn any of it. And uh, he, Joseph found himself uh, sold into slavery, and he found himself in the king's prison. And he just, all these things just kept happening to Joseph. And Joseph, all along, was just trying to do uh, what God was wanting him to do, and God was blessing him, and then seemingly it would all get taken away. And then God would bless him, and then it would seemingly all get taken away. And, and then Joseph found himself, after being faithful to God, and after, um, you know, time and time again having bad things happen and coming back with just, just doing exactly and listening to God and doing exactly what he wants, he ends up second in command in all of Egypt. And he ends up saving a nation and his own family from a famine. And then last week, Pastor Ben uh, shared with us about the, the, the King Jehoshaphat of Judah. And Jehoshaphat was a king who, when, uh, when other kingdoms were pressing in and, and the, the, the kingdom was in trouble and they were being threatened, instead of trying to kind of, you know, what we all kind of do in moments where there's, there's, there's tension, we kind of like think, okay, well, I've got to take care of this and this and this, and we've got to do this and this and this. Jehoshaphat doesn't do any of that first. What he does is he goes and he takes the people and they worship before God. And they allow God to speak to them and God to speak through other people in their community. And through all that, God brings about a total victory. And so that brings us to uh, the person we're going to talk about this morning now. uh, I'm going to tell you this as we, we begin. It's impossible for me to tell you this story in a Sunday morning. Um, Most of the stories and characters in Scripture, you get a a chapter or two, uh, maybe some of them even a whole book. The person we're talking about today is four books long. And so if I were to tell you that story, we would be here until next Sunday. And so I don't want to do that. Um, But uh, we're going to talk this morning about Moses. Moses. And uh, I've decided that uh, instead of talking and telling you the whole story, I'm going to tell you uh, just the beginning part of the story. We know a lot about Moses, right? We know about the major points in his life. We know uh, when we think about Moses, uh, maybe you think of uh, Charlton Heston, right? Or maybe you think of uh, the uh, animated Moses that never ages in the Prince of Egypt. there's a, lot of, there's a lot of different ways that you can think about Moses, but that's how you see him. And then, and then you think about the events that happened in his life, and you automatically think of the Nile, being found in the Nile. And then it seems, it seems like we jump from there to the burning bush, and then from there to the plagues in Egypt, and, and leading the people out, and crossing the Red Sea, and, um, and, and we just go through those major points in Moses' story. But what I found is at the very beginning, there's a lot of, there's a lot of rich... Detail that describe and set up for us the Exodus itself and the things that that means. D. L. Moody has this to say about Moses: Moses spent the first forty years of his life thinking that he was somebody, his next forty years learning that he was nobody, and his final forty years learning that God, uh, learning what God can do with nobodies. So to start the story of Moses this morning, I, I think it's uh, important for us to actually jump backwards just a little bit to set up the context that Moses is born into. And so we're going to actually go back to the end of Joseph's story. And uh, Joseph has uh, saved Egypt from the famine. He's had his interactions with his brothers where he's gotten them grain and they've come in and, and he's forgiven them. And, and Pharaoh invites them to come and to live in Egypt. And so Joseph... He goes out to meet them and, and when they're coming into the, the land. And this is what Joseph's instructions were to the brothers. In, in Genesis 46, 33 through 34, we read, when Pharaoh, uh, Joseph is saying this, When Pharaoh calls you in and asks, What is your occupation? You should answer, Your servants have tended livestock from our boyhood on, just as our fathers did. Then you will be allowed to settle in the region of Goshen. For all shepherds are detestable, to Egyptians So basically Joseph is saying do not tell them that you are shepherds. Shepherds are looked down upon. Egypt is an advanced society. Uh, they uh, no longer like the nomadic way of life and shepherds they have to move around they don't have they don't have their own land they don't have their own fences they just kind of move all over the place uh, and, and they're dirty and they smell and, and they're just not what sophisticated culture wants around them. This is the same argument. And the same um, uh, social thing going on at the time that Jesus was born. That's was why it was a big deal that when the angels went and appeared to the shepherds out in the field. That's why that's a big deal, because shepherds by that point in time Israel had reached the point that Egypt was uh, was at. And this at the point of this story is that shepherds are just not what is not where we're going as a society anymore and they're in the way they try to take other people's resources and we just don't want them around us so so joseph is instructing his brothers do not tell pharaoh that that's what you do instead he said i i know it's just semantics but tell them you you uh you take care of livestock and and that will be a more honorable thing to pharaoh than being a shepherd. So how does that how does that all go about? Well we we read about it in Genesis 47, verses 3 through 4. Pharaoh asked the brothers, What is your occupation? Your servants are shepherds, they replied to Pharaoh, just as our fathers were, they also said to him, We have come to live here for a while, because the famine is severe in Canaan. Uh, and your servants' flocks have no pastures. So now please let, us, uh, let your servants settle in Goshen. I have to imagine that when they said these words, Joseph is standing in the back and he's just going, oh, you had one job, guys, one thing. And when you go in front of Pharaoh, just tell me you, you take care of livestock. First thing you get up there, they must have just melted under the pressure and just said, oh, no, we're shepherds and uh, we, can't, we can't stay in our land. We need more places for our, our, our sheep to feed. So we're coming here. We're going to live in Goshen. Is that Okay. And uh, for seemingly for this Pharaoh, that was okay. Uh, Throughout this morning, we're going to have maybe some side lessons here. And uh, the first side lesson is listen and take counsel from those who have the right perspective. Sometimes we feel like uh, we know everything or we have everything under control. And maybe there are some people that want to like, give us some insight into certain things, and we don't always want to listen to them. Maybe we're older than them. Maybe we feel like we're, we are uh, more accomplished than them, and so we don't want to listen to them. But here's the thing. Joseph had spent time as Pharaoh's right-hand man, second-in-command. He knew the culture in Egypt. He knew what his brothers should have said, and he tried to instruct them. And in the end, they went ahead and did their own thing anyway. And so one of our, one of our, our lessons from this story this morning is listen to people who, who are a part of your life that have a proper perspective on certain matters. Now, you maybe shouldn't listen to them for everything, uh, but in certain areas, they, are, they have expertise. Um, they have uh, uh, certain... Uh, uh, things that just give them insight into certain situations, and we were supposed to listen to them. And that was a moment where Joseph's brothers should have listened, but they didn't. Now, the Pharaoh, like I said, didn't seem to be bothered that much by that. But here's the issue, and this, is, this uh, continues to set up the, the context into which Moses is born. Uh, 400 years goes by, the people explode. Um, when they leave, when they leave on the Exodus, we're told that 600,000 men, not including women and children, leave during the Exodus. Well, when they came in as just Jacob's family and Joseph's family, there were only 70 of them. And now there's over 600,000 just men, you can't imagine how many women, children, how many, uh, how many this nation had just grown into. And, uh, after 400 years, obviously, Jacob and Joseph and, and that whole generation has died off and uh, the next generation has died off and so on and so on. And what hasn't died off, though, is the fact that Egypt knows that those people are shepherds. Those Israelites, those Hebrew people, they're shepherds. And all along this like growing discontent For the people takes place in Egypt until we get to this point in Exodus chapter 1. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came into power. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous, and if war breaks out, they will join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they, uh, they put slave masters over them to oppress them with the forced labor, and they built Pithom and Ramesses, the cities, uh, store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So Egyptians came to dread the Israelites, and they worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar, and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly." So here we go, we have, we have the fact that the, these people are looked down upon because of their, their occupation. The fact that they're seen as immigrants in this, in this land, the, like they're exploding everywhere. So when they would go into all of the, the shops and city centers, they were there with a bunch of Hebrews. And you know, signs had to be in multiple languages and, and people had to like learn customs of each other and it just wasn't working out and the Egyptians were getting frustrated with the Israelites, and then all of a sudden this pharaoh comes along who is, looks at their sheer number and is just afraid of them. He's afraid of what might happen in in the course of a a takeover or a battle. He's afraid that they they might join with the enemy, and so his answer to this fear is enslavement, and he thinks that this enslavement will then cause um, this this people to stop growing and to st- and when they're oppressed they won't be uh, they won't be as fruitful and they won't have um, they just won't have time to expand as a people and so he thinks that this is going to take care of it but it doesn't and so then as the story progresses uh, Pharaoh decides I'm going to take this another to another level and he calls in the the Israelite midwives and there's two representatives that come and that meet with Pharaoh and Pharaoh tells them this that when you go to the birth of an Israelite, if that baby comes out as a male, you are to take it and kill it. But if it's a girl, you're to let it live. Obviously, you can't can't continue on as a nation if you are a nation of just one gender. And so uh, Pharaoh decides he's gonna take out all of the male babies. Well, the midwives leave from that conversation with Pharaoh and they also are afraid, but they're not afraid of Pharaoh. They're afraid of God. If they, were to take, if they were to take Pharaoh's edict and they were to fulfill it and carry it out, they were more afraid of what would happen to them from the God that they serve versus the person in power telling them what to do. And here we see, the, uh, we see um, uh, another side lesson. Fear, is the negative. fear in the negative sense is never a positive. Pharaoh's fear is a negative fear. And from that negative fear comes destruction and death. He's afraid of his power, and he's afraid of losing it. And so he does all of these things, tries to manipulate all of these things to make it come about. The midwives' fear of God is a different type of fear. It's a, it's a positive fear, a reverential fear of God, and, it's, and it leads to life. We're told in, in Scripture that these midwives, God God blesses them, and God gives them a family, and God uh, makes them prosper and multiply. And so Pharaoh's standing back, and he's seen all this happen, and he's, he's kind of waiting and watching and, and keeping his ear to the ground to hear about, oh, well, all of these babies have started to, to be born dead, stillborn. Um, but he doesn't hear any of that, and he, he sees in the streets, he sees new male babies that are born to the Hebrews, and he calls the midwives back in, and he says, what is going on? And the midwives look at Pharaoh and they say, well, you know what? Um, these Hebrew women, you know, they're vigorous. They're, they're, they're faster than the, than the Egyptian women. They give birth before we even get there. And once the baby's born and the mom's holding it, we can't just take the baby from the mother. That wasn't what you told us to do. And so, well, we, we can't carry out that edict if, if we're not there. So this makes, this makes Pharaoh furious. And he decides to take this, level, this, this genocide act to a new level. And he says, that's it. Any male Hebrew baby that's born is to be thrown into the Nile. And now enters Moses. Moses uh, is born during a very trying time. Uh, Winston Churchill, when he was uh, um, prime minister in Britain during the time of World War II, at the time of Franklin uh, Roosevelt's death, he makes a comment in Parliament that uh, FDR made it uh, to the point in the war to where his death was a very honorable death. He got to see Hitler fall. Uh, he got to see uh, the war in the Pacific advance to a point where victory was, was certain. It just wasn't sure how long it would take. Um, he, knowing his time was short, he was able to make it to a point in the war where his death was a very honorable death. And if you could take that that type of a death, you get the exact opposite from the standpoint of a birth from Moses. Uh, as, as he's talking about this, this uh, comment made by Winston Churchill, uh, Chuck Swindoll says that if FDR's death was at the best time, the very opposite is true of Moses' birth. Swindoll describes Moses' uh, time of birth as being born after midnight. It's in a very dark time. Um, and uh, it's in and it's in an overcrowded population. It's in a nation that doesn't that doesn't like his people. They're being oppressed, and then there's an, uh, an edict of genocide from the from the pharaoh, from the leader of the nation. And this is where Moses comes in. Now, um, Moses is the son of two Levites, um, Amram and Jochebed and when Moses is born. Um, the, the Bible says that Jochebed looked upon Moses and found that he was a fine baby. Basically what they're, they're meaning there is that she looked upon Moses and she could tell something was different about Moses. And she just felt that Moses needs to stay alive for something. And she couldn't just take him and allow him to be thrown in the Nile. So Jochebed hides Moses. And she hides Moses for three months. Now uh, Trent this, this week turns one year old and as we were like kind of looking back over over Trent's life uh so far uh we were thinking about those those first uh few months and you you could probably uh hide a, a, an infant of that age uh for a certain amount of time Trent i remember just kind of was there and slept and I could hold him. You could feed him. Uh, Now you cannot sit and hold him and feed him. He is all over the place, and he wants down. He wants to crawl and and walk along things, and he wants to get blocks out, and he wants to do all of this. Um, Jacob hid Moses until that time came. And now it was the time Moses is more active. She can't keep him quiet when she needs to. So something has to be done for Moses. And so... What has to happen, um, now I, I get a kick out of this because when you watch, like, especially the, the prince of Egypt, when she puts Moses in the water in the basket and sends him down the Nile, kind of, it, I mean, the basket's flowing down rapids. There's crocodiles and hippos and all kinds of things. Like, this basket's like a miracle that the basket made it to the, the, the palace, Right? And uh, and and a lot of times when we think about that, in fact, one of the churches that we were at, uh, they had painted their whole children's department when we got there with uh, uh, Moses in the Nile, and it was about how far this basket had traveled down the Nile. Uh, but really, when we read in Scripture, uh, we find a very different um, a different thing. In in, in one instance, Jacobbed looks like a terrible mother who put her her child in this basket in one of the most deadliest bodies of water in that part of the world and expected him to flow down to, to some area and hopefully be found by somebody. When, when really what happens, Jacobet is very, um, she's, it's very obvious. She has a plan in place. She doesn't just put Moses anywhere. And she also understands the current political climate in Egypt. So here's the thing. It's, it's, uh, it's made very clear to us through uh, Josephus, who was a historian of that time, that Pharaoh, during that, in, during that time in history, did not have a male heir. And um, what he did have, though, was two daughters. And these two daughters, he gave parts of the Nile to kind of take over and kind of rule over and, and kind of basically he just wanted to give them something to do. And so uh, these two daughters get these parts of the Nile, and, and I'm going to guess that Jochebed probably knew which one of the two was, was uh, more kind uh, and maybe uh, had more of an affinity towards children. And Moses doesn't just get placed in the basket to flow down the Nile. Moses, it said, is placed in the basket and put among the reeds, now here's the thing reeds in the Nile are more like small trees are now they're 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 not easily uh, you can't just navigate through them and bend them over and and the basket wouldn't just be able to flow right out it's basically caged in at the edge of the water And so she places Moses in this point among the reeds in the part of the Nile where one of Pharaoh's daughters is in charge of that she walks by every day on her way to bathe in the Nile, and she comes across a basket. And Moses, at this point in time, is is hungry, and he's frustrated that he's in a basket, and he's crying, and so she goes and she gets Moses out. And uh, so cleverly, Miriam, Moses' sister, is placed just off to the side, watching to see what would happen. Now, I, I don't believe for a second that Jacob did not have a conversation with Miriam that said, listen, Pharaoh's daughter most likely is going to come along if she finds Moses. This is what you're supposed to do and this is what you're supposed to say. Because she ran right up to the Pharaoh's daughter, which a uh, high political figure, uh, immigrant who lives in the ghetto. This is, this is what you got here. She runs right up with no fear to Pharaoh's daughter and says, would you like me to go get one of the Hebrew women to nurse this baby for you? And Pharaoh's is like, absolutely, I would. And so she runs back and goes and gets Jochebed, brings Jochebed there. Like, Jochebed wasn't just expecting all of this to happen. And she says, take the baby, nurse the baby, um, keep him with you. I will pay you to keep this child. And we're going to call him Moses. You're going to keep him. And uh, I'm going to pay you to keep him. And so here's the thing. Moses gets to now grow up in his own household with his own mother who is convinced there is something about Moses that we need to keep him alive for. God's doing something. And this comes to our main point of the morning. The one thing I want us to to hear about, and we're going to look at it again here in just a moment too, but the main thing I want us to, to realize is God's will has to happen in God's time. God's will in God's time. Jacobed knew what God's will was, and she, she followed through to this plan, and now all of a sudden, you have a Hebrew that's going to be in the palace, and we we're told by historians that immediately, and this is, one of the, this is one of the reasons why Jacobed picked one of Pharaoh's daughters to do this. Pharaoh did not have a male heir, like I said before, and so Moses, by becoming an adopted child of the daughter automatically enters into the line for secession for Pharaoh. And so you have a, a Hebrew baby who is going to grow up in line to become possibly become Pharaoh. And you've got a nation of people who are being suppressed and enslaved that need, that need to be redeemed. And here's Moses. It's God's will and God's time. If he was born at a worse time, he could also not be born at a better time for the exodus to come about. Now, uh, we are we're told that she gets to take Moses home and that he doesn't, he doesn't uh, go back until he's a few years older. And the important part about this is that uh, Moses gets to be raised in a home where he learns uh, not about the Egyptian gods, not about the Egyptian culture. He gets to learn about the one true God. He gets to learn about the God of his people, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And he gets to learn about um, how, uh, how wrong it was for his people to be oppressed. He, he gets to see things from the opposite perspective. And that's so important because he's gonna go back, he's gonna move into the palace at some point, and they're gonna take him and they're gonna educate him and he's gonna, he is gonna to grow up in Egyptian culture. And he's got to have the proper foundation to stand on, or all of that will overcome him. And so, these first few years of Moses' life, being at home with Jacob, is critical. And uh, the uh, second side lesson I want us to consider here this morning is giving your children a spiritual foundation is critical. As, uh, as a church, this is why we have a children's ministry. This is why we have a nursery. This is why we have VBS. This is why we do Upward. This is why we do all of the things that we do for our children, is to help them get a good uh, uh, foundation. But here's the thing. All the things we do here at church, uh, they're, they're great, but they're really a supplement. The main thing that they need to get is at home. And so I encourage you, if you have children uh, from, from birth, um, I mean, it really never stops, but especially birth through, through about five years old, this is key, important developmental time for them, not only for them as a, as a person, but also for their faith. And you can lay a foundation. We can never keep kids from going out into the world. Eventually, it's going to happen. We can shelter them, and we can do things, uh, but eventually, they're going to enter the world, and they're going to have to have a foundation to stand on. And so one of the things we learned from Jacobed is the importance of having that time with them and teaching them the truths about God at a very young age. The importance of this is not lost even in the New Testament. In Hebrews chapter 11, verses 23 through 26, we read, By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months uh, after he was born, because they saw that he was no ordinary child And they were not afraid of the king's uh, edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with his people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Moving on uh, quickly from uh, this point in the story, we're, we're not actually told much in Scripture between the point in time where uh, he goes to the palace and to the point where he becomes a man. Um, it actually happens in, in, the, in between two sentences uh, in Scripture. Uh, but what we do know from this time is we, we, we know from historians that a lot happens in Moses' life. Uh, Historians, uh, they they teach us that, first off, Moses was in line to become Pharaoh. This carried with it a lot of different things. He needed to learn Egyptian culture. He needed to learn uh, how to be in Pharaoh's court in the palace. He needed to learn all these things, and and he would do so at a place called the Temple of the Sun. Uh, He receives a top-level education here, and this is is basically uh, the Oxford of its time. Uh, people who didn't live in Egypt would come to Egypt to study there uh, because they had uh, the most advanced knowledge of, of science and uh, of, of health and, and all of these different things. People would come to Egypt to learn that. And this is the school that Moses has to attend. And Moses is starting out kind of behind the eight ball because he didn't grow up in the Egyptian culture in those first few years. He has to learn all of this kind of on the fly when he enters into the temple. And uh, the next thing we know is that Moses was a military leader. Uh, He had to be trained, and because he's going to become Pharaoh at some point, they want to make sure that he knows how to lead the Egyptian army. And so he's trained militarily, and uh, there's historians that have Moses actually leading the Egyptian army in a battle against the Ethiopians, and he crushes and wipes them out, which leads us to believe that Moses was very smart, he was very strategic, he was well-versed, he was a quick, steady, and he was well-received by the Egyptians. We know this to be true because he makes it to adulthood in Pharaoh's palace. If he was not well-received, if he was not um, a, a bright person, they would not have kept him there. He would not be in line for the throne, uh, but he was. And he's well-received, even as a foreigner, he's well-received by Egyptians to, to the point where they're okay with him pe- becoming a leader uh, of, of the nation at some point. Um, there's two schools of thought when it comes to Moses, though, and his uh, understanding of God's will for his life. The first school of thought is that Moses didn't know God's will for his life until he was 80 years old standing in front of a burning bush. The, the, the second uh, line of thinking is that Moses knew God's will for his life at an early age. Maybe he didn't know all the details about how it was going to happen. Obviously, he didn't know all the details about how it was going to happen. But he knew that God was going to use him to free the people uh, of, of Israel held in captivity there in Egypt. He was going to be the person that he used to, to set those people free and to, to take them back to a land that was promised to them to their ancestors. And, and I kind of fall in line myself personally with this second uh, the, the second way of thinking. Uh, when we find out that Moses has grown, uh, it says the scripture says that he's out walking amongst his people, and he comes across uh, a Hebrew being beaten by an Egyptian slave driver. And uh, the Bible doesn't say that Moses just saw that and went into a you know a crime of passion. He rushed over and he, he kills the Egyptian to save the uh, the Israelite. It says Moses stopped and he looked to his right and to his left. He was very strategic about his next move, and uh, the, the, the line of thinking with the second, the, this uh, second school of thought on Moses is that Moses uh, was tired of waiting. He was 40 years old. He had accomplished all these things, and he thought that he was ready to lead these people out of captivity. Well, how do you do that if they don't, if they don't know you as that person? Uh, you try to get them to trust you somehow. And so Moses thought, if I can defend them, I can uh, rally them to me, and we can get this ball rolling. And so Moses kills this slave driver, and he doesn't even really hide the body all that well. Probably tries to bury him in the sand, but you know, in the desert, wind blows, and sand moves, and and the body did not stay hidden. And the very next day, Moses goes back out, and he sees two Hebrews fighting, and and he says, what are you guys doing? And they said, what are you going to do? Are you going to kill us like you did that Egyptian yesterday? They're annoyed with Moses. And, I, and I, I personally, I think this is kind of funny because it seems like the Israelites are always annoyed with Moses. Uh, he's done everything for them. And, and yet throughout his whole entire story, all the way through the end, um, they, get, they get upset with him for freeing them from Egypt and they want to go back to Egypt. And I mean, this is just the start of something that lasts the rest of his life. Uh, but they get, they get annoyed with him. And so he realizes, first off, um, that he, he did not win their respect. And secondly, he realizes that he just messed up big time. Because he knows word of this has traveled all the way back to the Pharaoh, the same Pharaoh that was so afraid of his own shadow that he ordered the death of all of these male babies uh, in, in, in the land of Goshen with the Israelites. So Moses knows he only has one option, and Pharaoh does indeed try to kill Moses, and he flees, and he runs, and he runs all the way to Midian. And, to, and today, this is where our story is going to stop. Um, but he runs to Midian, and he sits down by a well. And our, and our last, last thing I want to point out to you this morning, last uh, side lesson, is that we need to stop running from mistakes, and we need to sit down. If you were to look uh, at pictures of Midian, it kind of looks like Mars. It's desolate. There's not a, it's, it's hot. It's desert. There's not a lot that grows there. And Moses ends up there, and he's running. He's running from the mistake. He jumped the gun. We were talking about God's will and God's time. He knew it was God's will, but he jumped the gun on the time. He got tired of waiting. He lost patience. He said, I'm 40 years old. Time's wasted. We just need to go ahead and do this thing. And he takes it into his own hands. And he ends up on the run, and he ends up in the desert. He, he went from the palace to having nothing and sitting in the middle of a desert. But he does sit down by a well that has water in it, that has life in it. And this is what we find. When we make mistakes and when we run from God, um, it, it's not easy to face God after we've made a mistake, right? It's uncomfortable. When we know that God wanted us to do this and we did this, we know it's hard to face. It's like, it's like when, you, when you mess up as a, as a child, you really don't want to tell your parents about it. But what we find is when we eventually stop running, And when we eventually make our way to the point where we just sit down, what we'll usually find is life, God-given life, is not that far away. And for Moses' sake, he didn't didn't ruin everything. It changed the plan a little bit, but God's will for Moses was still the same. He still made his way back to Egypt. God blessed him in in the meantime in Midian, but then he still made his way back to Egypt. And this morning, if you're here and you made a mistake and you've been on the run from God, know that God still can use you. God still has a plan for your life. And it may, in fact, be the same plan he had before. It may have had to change a little bit, but it still may be the same plan was before. But see, the importance is God's will and God's time have to go together to make the blessing happen. And when it finally is God's will at God's time, when when Moses jumped the gun and he killed the Egyptian, he tried to bury him in the sand, he couldn't even do that right. But when God's in it, and God's in control of it, the whole Egyptian army gets wiped out and buried under the Red Sea. It's not even, not even close to the same thing. Moses by himself, one person can't do it. Moses with, God, with God's will and God's time kills an entire army with a staff. And that's the importance of waiting on God's will and God's time. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for today. We thank you for uh, this, just the story uh, that we have to look back upon and to just see how you worked in Moses' life and, and just the, the, the lives of the entire people of Israel. We know that, that the, the story didn't stop here, that, that Moses does indeed lead the people out of slavery and bondage. And it's, just, it's, just, it's such an important and crucial part of Scripture that it's still talked about today, it's still for, uh, for a group of people, it still is their rallying cry, this moment in history. And it's all because um, you care for people who are, in, who are enslaved and in bondage. And this morning, dear God, I just pray that if there's somebody here that's, that's finding themselves enslaved in something, something uh, that's, that's damaging to them, something that's hurting them, dear God, I pray that you would uh, send someone their way that can be a redeemer, uh, a Moses in their life. Dear God, I pray that uh, you would help us to realize these, uh, these other side lessons. Uh, if there's something in our life or uh, a point where we need to listen to somebody or if there's a point where we are, are finding ourselves on the wrong side of fear, dear God, I pray that you would, uh, would help us and, and we would be reminded by the truths that are found in this story. And dear God, if, if we're struggling with finding your will for our life and finding your timing in our life, dear God, I pray for... Um, for patience, for us to stop running and to sit down, and to find that life is not that far away. Dear God, thank you for being a God who cares about us, who loves us. Please go with us today, and it's your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for coming this morning. You are dismissed.